Welcome to the IQ Meets EQ podcast. I'm Jackie Broman, Principal Solicitor at TBA Law and CEO of Legally Wise Women. And I'm here with Ush Danik, former corporate lawyer, then head of HR, and now an emotional intelligence coach. Good morning, Ush. Morning. I think you're going to say head of head heart or something. Oh, that sounds nice too. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm all right too. Yeah, I did stumble over HR again. I think that's a couple (laughs) of times now, isn't it? (laughs) Ah, I don't know what's so hard about that at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) Well, HR, it is always hard and you're going through it at the moment. (laughs) But so are you, aren't you? Because you've sort of, instead of doing as much coaching, you're sort of back into more of a HR-y sort of HR COVID stuff at the moment but it is what it is I guess it is coaching in a way because people feel so anxious and don't know what to do around whether to come in or work from home and so yeah it's all all unusual challenges at the moment Mm -hmm. Mm, very much so yeah so how's your training going great great I'm constantly sore (laughs) constantly stairs are not my friend but Mm. I'm good Mm -hmm. I'm really good, really enjoying it. And my biggest achievement of the week actually was two centimeters off my arms because I'm doing measurements now because the weights aren't working clearly and an insane amount off the waist and bust. So I'm like, okay, something's working. I'm just not going to weigh myself anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good, good stuff. And you got more energy? Well, now that I've been iron infusioned and injected, yes. 100%. Hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. I didn't hear about that. What did, what happened? You were iron. Yeah. Deficient. Well, I'm always low in iron, so the doctors are like, "Well, the tablets aren't ever going to help you because you're so low that you'll never be able to top up." So every year I do an iron injection. So a few days after that kicks in, it's like, "Wow, is this how normal people feel?" It's like amazing. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Oh, that's funny. What else were you doing? Because you had a couple of presentations or something as well, didn't you? Yeah, and just really working with um, Diana now, the instructional designer. So we're in like full-blown building content mode. Mm. So we catch up twice a week. We go over the content. She gets the shit out of my brain and makes it look amazing. So six-month project that's going to be. Yeah, right. And this is all for the Mighty Network. Yeah, well, no. Remember that guy that's now built us a platform? So Has he? Yeah, he's literally built us a platform as a pay it forward for free um, at a cost of $400,000. That was an amazing manifestation thing. Hell yeah. It's like, and it's better than any platform out there. It's a whole full-blown learning management system. So, Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, so all well, the content's going to go on there. Okay, good. And that sort of, it. well, the timing's perfect with KPI starting next month as well, exactly, isn't it? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So now, yeah, KPI's going to be amazing. Can't wait. Yeah, there you go. And what about you? What oh happened with God. your um, staff? We were just talking about that before we hit record. Mm, nothing. <laughs> That's the thing, nothing. I mean, well, I'm in the magic dark. I'm like... <laughs> you're manifesting all over the place I'm just like stuck in the dark (laughs) well I'll have to give you a manifestation lesson over the weekend oh god try and get something moving yeah there is just no one out there there is absolutely no results whatsoever Uh, first our seek ad then a recruiter 
you know, with national coverage, I don't know, where are people? Maybe they're too yeah. scared to move jobs because of the, the COVID condition. So I'm um, talking to other similar size firms to look for some kind of capacity support backwards and forwards when people have capacity problems. Also on Monday, talking to another place that does like freelance subcontracting lawyers. So maybe that will be a bit of a solution. It doesn't help building team. It doesn't help to build leadership at all, which is what I need, but it builds some capacity at least. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Because you're right. You, it's not about at the moment for you to get your team well-oiled because it's a bit in flux, isn't it, really? We've got the core core group, which is great. So I, you know, I needed some help with leadership though but that is not what I'm getting Mm. Hmm. so yeah maybe I do need to actually get a little woo-woo manifesting happening (laughs) I will help you I will totally help you with that Mm. we'll we'll have to we'll have to do a call over the weekend and I've just done it with another woman I'm working with at the moment and she funny enough is um, a stay-at-home mom at the moment but she was a like in a CFO finance role and She's like, I just don't want to go back to that. And she's really into fashion. She just shops all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm like, why don't you combine your two lots? She's like, how? I'm like, stylist for CFOs. She's like, oh my God. <laughs> so we're doing this thing at the moment for her where we're building up her, her little profile, her business, and just teaching her manifestation of what she needs to create. And she's like, I've never done this before and I just feel amazing. So we'll give you some skills by the end of the weekend. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Great. So I had a really interesting interview. I only did this one yesterday. And, you know, well, maybe, you know, maybe I manifest, but just not what I want to be manifesting. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) So I had actually come across, this is Zenith Virago. What a great name. I'd come across her about six months ago. I'd listened to another podcast and thought, oh yeah, that was, that was pretty cool. Very interesting. Came across it again, I think, in a different context, different part of her story, hadn't connected that it was the same person. Then Bridget, our last guest, suggested that I speak to this lady that she'd done this death walking course with. And she told me a bit about the story. And I'm like, I thought, I think I've listened to that story before. Wow. And then, yeah, it, here she is and so I think in a way maybe that sort of manifested somehow into my life because I needed to hear this so Zenith calls herself a death walker she runs the natural death care center and she works with people pre and post death and she also runs courses for people who want to be I guess, more comfortable with dying and loss. So let's have a listen. Zenith, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. Very good. I'm so pleased to have you. Our last guest, Bridget, actually recommended that I talk to you. And then I've sort of told you some of the story, but it turns out that I've heard about you in a couple of other places as well. So I'm really pleased we could set this up. Now, your story is really interesting, and I want to go back to when you were a child, back in the UK, I believe. What did you want to be when you were growing up? 
I wanted to be a few things. One was I wanted to be a social worker because I clearly have some sort of social conscience, but I didn't really understand it. And social workers were just a new thing. And mm. so that seemed exciting. I also wanted to be an air steward to be flying around the world because that, was also, that wasn't socially conscious, but it was very glamorous. And I have, in fact, spent my life now traveling a lot. And the other thing I wanted to be was a spy, but I, I really was terrible at lying. So I gave that up quite quickly. But again, it had an intrigue to it that I found attractive for a moment, <laughs> just for a moment. Isn't that interesting? And you have led a very international life and you've come all the way to being what you call a death walker, which is fascinating. But I want to sort of hear a little bit about the path that you took to get there, sort of your steps in your career that led you to that. Can you let us know how, how you came to be a death walker? Sure. I think the most significant part of that and the beginning of that journey was when I was 15, my best friend at school died due to hospital negligence. And it really landed death right there for me, rather than it being old people or grandparents or, uh, you know, in, in some sort of, you know, you get old and you die. Suddenly it, it landed with me that young people died and I could be dead before the weekend. Mm. And I lived for many years, my young years, with that sort of just sitting on my shoulder that, you know, you can die at any time, it's random. And then when in the 80s, so in my late 20s and early 30s, I was part of the queer community. And so a lot of my friends were dying with HIV, mm. a lot of beautiful young men. And again, it just was so, and that was an epidemic. And there were lots of consequences in that where people were getting a result and killing themselves on the same day. It was, it was a, a terrible time. Mm. And so death became very familiar for me. And I learned quite a lot then from some of those men who were dying. And I just remember one of them saying to me, you know, I'm really grateful for that virus. It's really taught me what's important, which seemed so shocking to me at the time. But of course, as life's gone on, I really understood mm. what he meant by it. But I didn't, I wasn't wise enough then mm. to understand and then a friend of mine died suddenly in the garden one morning and we decided that we would look after her ourselves, that we, I was working in law, I offered to do it, I sought some advice, I got, got the information I needed and we looked up, we built a coffin, we washed and dressed her, we picked her up from the hospital, we drove her to where she needed to go, we had a vigil we had a ceremony that was really beautiful and meaningful for her. And then we pushed her into the cremation. And that day was my 37th birthday. So it really, the other things had supported me to that moment, mm -hmm. but then it really began then. Wow. And then I understand that you had just people starting to approach you and, and say they wanted a more natural sort of approach as well right. yeah. yeah and so did it then just develop really organically it did people just came to me and said oh can you do this for us and uh, you know we, we want to do it ourselves can you guide us through that and there was something very exciting about bucking the system mm -hmm. about because of course I live in Byron Bay and Mullumbimby 
And so people had different lifestyles and they had opted out of what we would call a mainstream existence. Mm. And so they didn't want to get swept back up into a mainstream death where they wanted to be able to build their own coffin. They wanted to do a ceremony in the forest or in the garden or in a park. And I just, because I had law on my side, Mm. I loved filling in forms (laughs) and, um, I also was unafraid of authority. And so it just was a case of, you know, discussing that or arguing with people at the hospital or at the council or at the court to make those things happen that people wanted. And then quite quickly, I and then I also, the more ceremonies I did, I became quite a proficient and caring funeral celebrant. And then I decided to become a marriage celebrant as well. And so I was often marrying and burying people in the same family over a period of time. Mm -hmm. And people would often ring and say, we've been to several of your funerals. We'd really love you to marry us, which I thought was an incredible compliment from people. But it's because what I had to offer, I didn't grow up with any religion. Mm -hmm. So I was just bringing a care and a respect And I began to fall in love with the mystery. And that made life much easier for me when I was dealing with the death of small children, for example, Mm -hmm. and people were trying to look for meaning. And I could just sit very quietly in the not knowing, in the not looking for meaning, in the just acceptance of things as they were. And I also had to look into my own life about my own children if they died. And I think the deeper that you look into something, the more you're able to understand it and then to be able to be with it or not. And the deeper I looked, the more able I was to be there for everyone. So I was very fortunate in that way. Wow. Yeah. And it's one thing, I suppose, to be doing a lot of the post-death things with a grieving family but I know you do a lot of work with someone who is is terminal as well. So how has that sort of developed and, and what different skills and approach do you have to have when it's the person themselves? I think, I'm not sure if this will make sense to anybody, but <laughs> it, it's, it's the easiest way to describe it. And so I, I sort of, I needed a big ego. So I needed a big ego to stand in front of a ceremony of, two, three hundred people, especially when someone's died suddenly, and think that what I had to say would offer them comfort. Mm-hmm. And so I I was willing to do it and I gave it my absolute best and I crafted a ceremony and it it worked. But when I went to sit with people at the bedside, I would hang my ego like a big grey overcoat. I would just hang it in not literally, obviously, but (laughs) visually, I would just hang it on a hook at the front door. And when I entered that house, I would just bring all of what I had, but without this bigness. And I would just try and be empty, but present. And so, and I wouldn't say that in my personal life at that time, I was very present. I wasn't a meditator I wasn't a counsellor. I wasn't any of those things. But what I did have was a willingness to be there. And instead of fear, 
I started to grow trust, a trust that all things were as they were. And if people were asking me to come, I would come and I would just do for them what I would want someone to do for me. And that just seemed to work. I responded to whatever they asked me. I, I informed them about things. We talked about things. And what I found was that most people, because if people are deeply religious, they will speak to their own clergy. But for people that don't have a strong faith, what they want to do is just talk to someone who doesn't have an agenda mm. and who also is is willing to just share with them, but also not try and make it better. So not mm-hmm. have pity for them. And I, I never had pity. I've never had pity for anybody. And I, I probably wouldn't say I was deeply empathetic either, but I'm absolutely present. And in that, there seems to be something that works for people, especially for men who really don't want pity. Yeah. They do not. Mm. They don't want charity. They want something noble and respectful. But also what I've learned is that men can often be afraid, but they're, they're also humiliated that they're afraid. Mm-hmm. Wow. And that's very different. Whereas women won't have, they'll just be afraid of the unknown or leaving their children behind and things like that. Whereas for men, a lot of them have this sense that they, they're they not going to be there and they're not going to be able to support and protect their family and make it okay, which they may have spent their whole lives trying to do, doing the right thing. And And so I found that if I just went in and treated them sort of very equally, and I didn't bring any pity into that room, but just um, a very pragmatic approach. That seemed to really work. And, I mean, obviously everyone is different, but I would start from that place and then adjust to who they were. But that really helped me. I have learned so much about gender. Mm, Fascinating. Yeah, it's been very fascinating. (laughs) I want to jump in a little bit more about this presence point that you said, because you said originally you could be present there, but weren't very present in your life, which is uh, really interesting of itself. Cause I also deal with a lot of people after someone's passed or sometimes when someone's terminal. And I've also found as, as you have, if you just, they've come to you for a reason. So you just pragmatic, don't talk around the point, you know, the, it is what it is, but I still have that little bit of anxiety about, you know, what, what they may ask or how they may be. So I'm not completely there. I'm trying to think ahead a little bit sometimes. Yeah. Which, which won't help you. Mm. Mm. No. <laughs> so, and, but what, what I also feel to just say is that also, you know, you, you use the word terminal, which I would just say, I would really encourage you maybe to drop back into that they're a person, they're a dying person, mm-hmm. they're dying. And, and dying really offers us an insight into the profound. And so our language around that for us and for other people that we're talking about, I find very important. And I, I see that when, I, when we call it for what it is, it really allows people to 
something becomes clear for them. But so I would just say to you and anyone that's listening, the word terminal, it's not a friendly word. It's not a, it doesn't, I mean, dying can be a shock, yes. but it, it has a continuum. So someone's dying and then they're dead. Mm-hmm. And th- those two sort of go, ha- they're a continuum. And because I'm involved in that continuum of care, so I work with people who are well, people who are ill, people who are dying, and people who are dead, and people who are bereaved. But really, so the first time you keep saying, or you know, because when you're sitting with someone, I say to them, you know, how do you feel about dying, mm. that you're dying? Or because often people will say, I'm not dying, or I know I'm dying, but I'm still hoping for a miracle. But so I think the introduction of the word dying and the fluidity of that in a conversation eventually sort of lands. And so for people who are feeling uncomfortable in those conversations or tentative, let's say, I think the best thing to do is grow courage Mm. because the person themselves is in a a new and unknown place, and that's a challenge. uh, And we will never know what that's like until it's happening to us. So we can never know how it is for someone else. But you can absolutely accompany them and grow in courage to, you know, almost to hold a light so that they can see where they're going is mm. even though we don't know where that is. But we all know that if, if we're lost in the dark and someone comes along with a light or just accompanies us, we suddenly feel much better. We, we're not alone, even though we're not sure where we're going the fact that someone else is with us generally relaxes something in us and we feel safer and more supported. And then we can fumble along together, you know, to whatever, whatever situation that is, you know, most people are incredibly courageous and I see, I see that a lot. So I have to bring my courage Mm. to that moment to meet them so that as we walk together, we, we are supporting each other with whatever I'm supporting them into an unknown that I, I'm not dying. I don't know what it's like to be leaving my children or mm. my partner behind, but I'm willing, I'm absolutely willing to be there with as much of myself as I can. And that is all I can do. And that's all anybody can ever do is their best. But second guessing it or being in the future or trying to work out what to say but to generally takes you out of the present Mm. so to just be there and to respond so generally what I do is I come present I'm not in the future or the past Mm. I come neutral Mm. that what's happening is neither a good thing or a bad thing looking for meaning I'm Mm. not I'm sitting in a neutral position Mm. I'm thinking, what's the kindest thing to do? Because sometimes the kindest thing is to speak and sometimes the kindest thing is to be silent or a range of other things in between. And then I respond to them. So, and 
but the thing about if you're t- and and the, the, if you're not very good at being present mm. like I'm not a meditator I have but it's not my gig really but what I know is that if I soften my belly if I until it's super relaxed so instead of being tight mm. then I'm very clear and I'm very present so when I first started, I would sit in the chair at the bedside. I would, you know, I would be saying things. But while I was saying those initial greetings, I would be softening my belly mm. because that has this, it's your nervous system is in your gut. And it, it, it really allows you to be much more present. It's the easiest fast track to being present right. as a practice. And is that something that you've brought now more to other areas of your life too? It's a skill that you've sort of been able to embrace much more? Yeah, well, now I'm just present 99% of the time because the more you practice something, the better at it you get. Mm. And so also I have a thing that when I die, I don't want to miss it. So I haven't spent 30 years by those bedsides, you know, dealing with people who have died suddenly in accidents to not learn that lesson that it's omnipresent it can happen at any time so i am very very calm so that for example if i'm driving along and a car's coming towards me on the wrong side of the road i'm going to stay calm i'm going to stay calm i'm going to try and avoid it but should i die in that accident i do not want to miss that moment when my body dies i want to know what happens because my experience is that most people believe that something leaves the body. Mm -hmm. Most dying people, most families all believe that something leaves the body when the body dies. And so if I'm going to die suddenly, I want to be present to that so I can be present to that experience of that pop. Or if there's nothing, fine. Yes. (laughs) But I... You know, the more I've practiced being present because I'm in the profound with people all the time, I have, in fact, become constantly present Mm. to whatever's happening. And that it almost comes back to what you were doing as a teenager as well, thinking and saying all the time, like, I might be dead by the weekend. Exactly. Yeah. You know, has that stopped you planning or having goals or has that just made it even more you more driven to keep things moving because you're like well you know there's so much to do well it it's driven me to have a lot of pleasure in my life and to enjoy big things and the small things and people and nature I have not been driven to have a career because it seemed like too much hard work Mm -hmm. and um, and I've never had a long-term plan and so but everyone is different but I would say life has been very kind to me and if I had a plan and I'd gone on that plan or tried to follow it which I, I haven't then I would not be this person and I and I would not have had this incredible life you know learning about things that are really important and being with people in some of the most intimate moments of their life and being able to be of benefit to them and to the people left behind and I 
I've, as I say, I feel life's been very kind to me and it's really, I didn't really want to go to university, but what I wanted to do was sit with great, what I would call great wisdom teachers. Mm -hmm. And so I did that. I went to spend time with the Dalai Lama, you know, with Thich Nhat Hanh, um, with Joan Halifax, who are great. They're, they're all Buddhists and they're, they're, they're wisdom teachers. And to glean from someone who has spent a lifetime learning and practicing what's really important. Because when you die, or when you are dying, it doesn't matter how qualified you are. It doesn't matter how much you own. It doesn't matter, you know, whatever you've achieved. All that matters, the only thing that will help you is your internal world and your own peace of mind, your own peace of heart. Mm. And that for me became very clear quite quickly because I was dealing with people who were very wealthy and were dying and were terrified sometimes because they didn't have anything on the inside. And that was a great lesson for me. And, you know, I wouldn't want to be swapping my life with many people. I can tell you it's been so rewarding on the inside and very simple but rewarding not so much financially, not so much with possessions, but but with experience and with appreciation. Mm -hmm. And I feel very lucky for that. Yeah. And you also train others to to do similar things to what you do as well. What sort of people do you find want to do that sort of work or are they coming because... Uh, someone in their own family is dying or are they re is it becoming more and more of a, a career path I guess as well like for people I think people have always had a hunger for knowledge around death and dying mm. and in the past religion has been the only thing that's been on offer for people mm. and Sometimes religion can sort of be an insurance policy <laughs> that people take out around death and, and also about life. But what, what I see is that when people who come for the training, so some people come because they are dying themselves. Some people come because they will be caring or are caring for someone who's died. Some people come because they have cared for someone and it didn't go the way they wanted and they want to be more prepared. Now they've had an experience. Yeah. A lot of social workers come, which is very satisfying for me, as mm -hmm. I said before, because I thought I think it's such a great occupation. Yeah. Counselors, masseurs, anybody who works with anybody in that spectrum. Palliative care nurses come because they want to know what happens before and after they get there. And and anybody in between. So it's really for anyone who wants to be more informed and more aware and more uh, prepared and educated for, you know, what the paperwork is, how to care for someone at home, what your legal and social rights are when someone dies, how long you can keep the body at home, how to care for a dead body, what or even if you want to work with a funeral director, to have an equal relationship with them, not to be intimidated by 
their authority, but to say, no, actually, we want to build our own coffin. You know, my we have a granddaughter. She's a carpenter. She wants to build the coffin for her grandparent. And, or, no, we want to drive them in our own ute because that's what we've always, you know, that we've spent a lifetime in that ute and we're going to do it. And we're going to do the ceremony on the farm or in the back garden, wherever. And so getting a lot of that information and discussing it and curious and inquiring before you need it, when you're emotionally affected is so valuable. So that when you find yourself in that situation or someone in your community has that experience, you can then step in instead of feeling helpless. It's a bit like learning first aid. You know, when you learn first aid, you think, oh, I hope I never have to use that. But if you are the person at that accident scene and you have CPR skills and you can do them, then you are really glad that you've got that information. And whether that person is someone in your family or is a complete stranger on the side of the road, you you just bring an ability to function, to be very present and to function in those moments. And it's that's a very big part of what people, are, they're getting familiar. They're learning to settle anything that arises so that they can be practical and pragmatic in those situations and, and caring and responsive and emotional too. Mm. So but mm. they can have the whole, they are able to access all of their, all of who they are, not just the little part because they're in shock. Hmm. What aspect of the work that you do at the moment are you most passionate about or have the most fulfillment from? I think teaching. Um, right now I'm here in Perth to teach um, two, three, lots of trainings. And I, I, I think that's how, you know, I think that's the way you go. You, you, know, you learn something, you practice it, and then you teach it. But you don't really teach it until you've embodied the skills and the wisdom mm. that that has to teach you. And now, you know, I'm in my 60s now. I started in my 30s. So that's a 30-year journey. Mm. And, and very fortunate to have lived on the North Coast where people were a bit more proactive, a bit more up for something different. Mm. And so... And because there wasn't anything else, I, le I, I learned a lot very fast. And I've just grown and grown and grown that body of knowledge until it's become a body of wisdom. And it's that that I'm sharing because it means that people can start running instead of crawling. Mm. So they can find themselves in a situation and be of incredible benefit to anybody in need in that experience because they're sitting on this bank of knowledge which in its time will become wisdom and they will take that to their already existing personal and professional skills and they will mold that into what's right for them so I'm not teaching people to be like me but I'm I'm sharing with them everything I possibly can so that they can affirm what they already feel deeply inside or take what they need and grow it in a way that works for them in, in, with their personality, their role and their community. 
And that's very different to what's on offer in lots of places where it's a sort of tick list approach. Mm. You have to do it this way. Whereas really I'm full of respect that everyone has their own capacity, their own inherent capacity to die well or to accompany someone well. And, you know, it's a learning journey. But, as you know, if I have two minutes on the side of the road in an accident, I'm going to be there thinking, wow, that life was beyond anything I could have imagined. And I've shared what I learned. So it doesn't just stay with me and it doesn't die with me. It's, it's free. And that's a very satisfying yeah. place to be at the end of a life. Yeah, what an amazing place to be at any stage in your life, I suppose, to Mm. be able to be there. Uh, And you do absolutely ooze wisdom. I just feel like there's some osmosis of wisdom happening. (laughs) Great, great. But but it's probably just waking something up in you that is there and and it's starting to grow Mm. and expand. So, you know, Mm. playing small doesn't serve anybody. So taking a risk, saying, yes, I can do this, or stepping up to that mark, Mm. then you'll see whether you can do it or not. Mm. But And and you never have to do it alone. You know, I know that I am this person, but behind me is all my closest friends, all my community supporting me to be this person. But without them, it would have been very hard. Mm. I I don't know if I could have done that alone. So, Mm. and we... That. we all have people that are supporting us to do what we do yeah yeah probably more than we quite often acknowledge you're right yes so knowing all the things that you know now and you were in a def- very different place at 21 what advice would you go back and give to your 21 year old self if any <laughs> you think she needs to follow the path she followed or <laughs> yeah I, you know what I I wouldn't mm. I I think um Somehow I knew because it's say not that. you. Can't, <laughs> well, you it's it, you can't do that. So I, I wouldn't be wasting any time thinking about what I would do because um, hmm. it's a waste it of my, my time. All happened the right way in the end. <laughs> yeah, because everybody, I think you know, our purpose for living is is just to become the best person we can be, and sometimes life is kind to us, and sometimes it's challenging, and. And we we can't always control or contribute to the our external circumstances, but what we can do is on the inside just really become the best person we can be with this with the set of circumstances and what we have to deal with. And you know that's for each person to explore as they live their lives or choose not to live their lives. Mm. Mm. Finally, I mean, you've given us some really great tips on this already with the softening of the belly and also coming back to being conscious of the kindness and just coming from kindness. Do you have any other little, I know you don't meditate, do you have any other little rituals or little daily things that you do for yourself to keep, make sure that you're checking in and make sure you're well as well if you're, you know, being there for so many others? I I, sw- I live near the ocean and I swim in that ocean most days. Mm. But if I've had a particularly intense experience, mm. I will run into that ocean or lots of my friends, fortunately, have swimming pools and I will sometimes 
arrive at their house and say, I just have to dive in the pool. And every people say, okay. And they just carry on with what they're doing. And that's what I mean about being supported by the whole community. And I would just dive into that water and just wash it all off. And, and when I came up, I would feel it was gone, whatever it was. But um, I know that I, I couldn't have... I couldn't have done this work for so long and stayed so healthy and well without the ocean or without water. And that, that really is probably my saving grace and the only thing that I would say I do regularly. Everything else is sort of random. Mm, yeah. yeah. Well, that's beautiful. It's a great practice anyway, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I, as I said, half an hour goes so fast. I want to be really respectful of your time and thank you so much for coming on and have a, a conversation with me um where can people find out a little bit more about what you're doing if they're interested and want to do a course or something like that with you so i i created a small charity the natural death care center and i work out of that because for me it was important that it that work held an integrity and so anybody can, that website is uh, the naturaldeathcarecenter.org and it has free information there. It has a range of things there uh, to look at, but it also has a list of all the trainings for this year. I haven't scheduled next year yet because I've still got seven to go for this year. So I'm nearer, nearer the time. Can't yeah. plan too far ahead. No, <laughs> no it could be, I could be, I could be dead at any time. At but, um, yeah, <laughs> it's good. It's a great measure as long as you don't take it too seriously at the same time. Mm. Mm. But it's it's just a great reminder that all things are impermanent. Mm. Mm. Yes. Okay. Well, thank you again so much. Uh, I really appreciated it, and um, it, it is. It's, um, it's a great conversation. It's sort of a continuum and something is opening. So, yes, thank you again. Great. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks for the invitation. I, I really, really enjoyed this. I was like so engrossed listening to it when I was driving. And it was really odd timing that you sent me this interview. So I was a little bit freaked out as well yesterday because what's been happening recently is, and I know she spoke about it where she said, you know, that you can die at any moment, it's death is omnipresent. And, you know, she talked about being present in the moment, for example, it was on the side of the road or in a head on collision. So I've been getting signs from the universe to change my car. And I've been ignoring these signs because I've only just paid off my car loan. So I'm like, wow, I'm literally like debt free with my car. I thought I'd drive it for six months before I change it. But it seems like my guides and the universe has different plans because I keep getting signs like, you know, I broke down, my tire burst, my car got broken into in a really secure car park a day before yesterday. And then I've been having these visions and I've had them numerous times in the last two days that my car goes into a massive fireball. And then I literally leave my body and I see my soul on top of the fireball and my body just dissolves right in the fire. And then when she spoke about that yesterday, I'm like, oh my God, this is a sign. I need to freaking change my car. Like, so, so it made me last night before bed go onto carsales.com to go, I need to find a car. It's like, this is like another sign from Zenith saying, this is going to happen. 
Oh my God, what a funny response. <laughs> so that was my little share about what's been happening in my world with my head and like dying. Mm. So but- when you have these flashes of this anxiety vision that you've got, yeah. do you have it when you're waking or do you have have it like no, when during you're- the day? Yeah, just- but I'm really calm. Like I'm not, I'm not fearful of death in any way, shape or form. I'm, I almost go, wow, you know, awesome. Like I wonder what's going to happen a bit like what, what Zenith was saying but um it's not that and I don't have any anxiety I don't have any worry about it and it, it, more than anything it's like oh wow it's really fascinating like I was looking at the symmetry of the fireball around the car and I was looking at all of that stuff um <laughs> but I've had it while I've been like doing something and I see it like in my mind so and then when she spoke about this interview and death and I'm like oh my god like mm. I just thought my shit out so <laughs> But I, I, I'm glad you, (laughs) yes, that aside, um, yeah, I I think it's amazing. I, I really liked how she explained, you know, the being present, like how she said she has to leave her ego, right. And be, be kind and kind could mean talking or it kind could mean not talking. And that is so true. But I do wonder, I know she says the ocean helps, but I do wonder how she doesn't get emotionally attached like mm. with the whole process of it you have to be mm. like I don't know she must have a way that she can meet them speak with them do everything and then yeah not take it on to be so accepting of what's happening yeah I you know <laughs> the emotional intelligence is just off the chart <laughs> yeah yeah and I think her awareness I really liked how she said that there's times that she does have to have the ego, yeah. but it's almost like she pulls it in and then lets it go in, in the um, instances that she needs to, mm. which is a really cool thing to do because we're so conditioned to go, have no ego, have no ego, you know, and from an EQ point of view, and it was fascinating to hear her say, well, at times she has to call onto it because it's needed for the presence of what she's going to do. Yeah, I thought that was interesting too, but I also thought, well, it's not really if you want to frame it that way it is ego to think that she has something to say that can help but on the flip side it's never about her like yes it's always about them yes because ego is almost the wrong word you know what I thought the word Mm. she was trying to say was almost this the thing that in EQ we call personal power so Mm. personal power is this presence it's that inner quiet confidence that you know what you're doing is really important, but in in a way that is without ego. And when she was describing when she brings that in, that's what I thought it was as opposed to ego because, or maybe it's society, we're conditioned to think ego is a really, you know, negative thinking word. But yeah, I totally knew what she meant. And then she's able to put that aside and just be there. And and I found it interesting when, and it's, it's really cool how she said that when she goes there to speak with them, she's neutral. So it's not good or bad because you can tend to go oh my god you know you may not say it but you'll go wow this is a really shit situation for them and you put your own interpretation of the situation in the way that you speak Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but to be able to have a conversation in that neutral stance isn't easy you know no no that's right and I was thinking it, it might be easier when you don't really have some kind of friendship or emotional connection with someone but when you're doing it for people in your community that you do know 
um, or she said that the first time she sort of helped someone do the process themselves, it was a friend. Her friend. That's right. And then also, you know, being through the 80s with the the HIV, um, you know, just having so much death around, I suppose, maybe is where that acceptance comes from. Um, It made me reflect on a couple of similar experiences I've had. When she said that she had a 15-year-old friend die suddenly, I had a 13-year-old friend die suddenly. She rode a push bike out from the high school and got hit by a truck. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and it was sort of the late 90s, just before there was this big campaign to make it a 40K zone around schools. And that had a huge impact on our our year level and and really, you know, I still vividly remember how small her snow white coffin was. So there was that. And also when she was talking about the silence, it made me reflect because about five years ago, a friend of mine, her husband died suddenly. And, you know, they were one of these couples that everyone looked up to because they were the perfect, you know, they loved each other so much and it was just amazing. And, you know, we went through the usual, you know, couple of weeks where everyone sort of rallies around someone and then you have the funeral and then everyone sort of just dissipates and this person has to get on with their life. And I was really conscious that um, I tried not to disappear, but it was also hard um, to know where I fit. And so sometimes I'd just go around there and just sit there. Mm. And recently she said, you know, how much she appreciated the first time that I did that. I just went and just like didn't even have any expectation to talk about anything. I didn't bring anything. I wasn't there to clean her house or whatever. I just came and sat. And she said that that was the right thing at the time. And I was just like, I, you know, I don't know what to do, but... <laughs> So, yeah, that silence thing, I guess, um, without pressure, without expectation, without trying to make her feel better or without her trying to make me feel better or. Mm. Yeah, it just reminded me of something I watched last night on TV and it was a guy who's got um, one of the characters in the, in the TV show. He's got really bad PTSD after seeing his wife being blown up in a car bomb. And he's a police officer, so he's seen lots of other stuff. And one of the things when he's having that PTSD moment is to call someone you trust and then just get them, get, just sit with them, literally just sit with them. So he called his partner, like police partner, and she came over and he's like, I don't know what we're doing. And she's like, we're just sitting here. And that's all they did. They literally just sat there. There was no expectation of food, talk, like you said, support him. It was just be there. Mm in that moment Mm. Mm. yeah it's really powerful isn't it to be able Mm. to do that yeah it is and I think I wasn't completely present when I was doing it because like I said to Zenith you know I was sort of in my head a little bit going oh am I doing the right thing like what should I be doing blah 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 but um her tips around the presence like you were saying before the presence I think is so important I feel like I'm always either reviewing something in my head that I've done or thinking about something else what to say <laughs> yeah exactly that's right so that is definitely something that I really sort of dived into for my own benefit to try and practice more yeah yeah and so that like she said I think she used the word you got to empty your mind right is that what she said 
something like you've got to empty your mind of anything and just um, take on, you know, what's going on for them at that moment. Yeah, she did say just to be respond, just to remember to be kind and just respond. Respond, yeah. Yes, not to try and preempt. That's right. Yeah. But I do like how she does the weddings too. I think that's pretty cool. Mm. It's like this almost, like she named, isn't she, who she works with? Like, you know, and even in the same family as someone that she may have helped with a funeral, there's then the wedding, Mm. which is incredible. Mm-hmm. And, and that must that must make it I don't know from an emotional point of view balance out some of the other stuff that she may be feeling even though she's dealing with it but you still got to feel it right mm. it's not like you don't feel it or you ignore it yeah and she said it a couple of times about the non-religious and still being able to have some kind of ceremony for non-religious people because it's right you know we in the past have been so reliant on um, some kind of religious structure to to guide us through the ceremonies of life but more and more of us are just fairly agnostic these days and mm. so we lose a bit of that community we lose the some of the ritual and ceremony around ordinary things and then the big things as well even that's interesting to dive into and I know we didn't talk about it much but she does talk a lot about the importance of ceremony a lot elsewhere so I I think there's so much to learn from her and the wisdom that did ooze from her was just phenomenal. And I I feel like, like I was saying earlier, that um, I'm sort of drawn to try and find out more about her and, and learn more from her as well. So I'm going to try and um, do a course with her. She can get down to Victoria in the next 12 months or so. Oh, amazing. Hmm. Yeah, I loved it. It was just fascinating. And I like how she's also just gone with the flow of life, hasn't she, of herself. And she just seems to like not have any of that worry, anxiety, overly planning type of life and just go with the flow. And that must be such a beautiful place to be in Mm -hmm. and be really comfortable and happy with that. Yes. And it seems to have you know, all worked out really. And to, you know, for her to be so trusting that it would, and also to realize that she has support around her, that if something didn't work out, she could call on that support. I think so many of us feel like we're so alone and have to be strong and independent and do it all ourselves. And to drive forward with what we think we should have or whatever it's fairly relentless and I think maybe that's a lesson that I needed to hear as well because it's certainly what I do and then I beat myself up big time when I'm not hitting those targets that I set for myself Mm. yeah and that's the pressure isn't it that you put yourself under all the time and Mm -hmm. to just be able to I've been able to do that a bit more and more funny enough though like I've got more deadlines and plans than I ever have but I feel a bit detached from it as well. Mm. It's almost like, well, I'm just going to do the best I can to get those things achieved and done. And you've got to stop yourself. Well, I've had to stop myself from going, oh, life will be amazing once I hit these milestones. Because mm. part of me does feel that because I'm like, oh my God, my course will be automated. My program will run. I can get a trainer in and life's going to be amazing. But I need to have life amazing over the next six months as well, not just when it's all done. Yeah, Because I might not be here. I might be in a 
caught up in a fireball somewhere. That's right. You could be dead before the weekend. <laughs> dead before the weekend, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the process of getting to the goal, right? That's right. Absolutely. And I was reflecting on that too. I'm like, well, if I was dead by the weekend, would I be able to have that two two minutes before, you know, knowing that my life was ending, mm. that I would be satisfied? Nope. Absolutely not. <laughs> exactly. Mm. Mm. it would be an interesting place to be in because a little bit like you I'm not really afraid of death I am afraid of what you know the pain that might come before that (laughs) but I certainly have a hell of a lot more to do I think so mm. yeah exactly and be not just do Jackie Mm. 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 absolutely good point and experience and experience that's the thing yes and learn Mm -hmm. yeah so there you go a very different sort of feel with that one I loved it it was great yeah interesting timing then for both of us that was meant to be yes yeah a message a message we were meant to hear right yeah absolutely and yeah we'd like to hear from others about what they thought about this one whether it was something that people were meant to hear at the time they heard it as well because obviously people could listen to it at any point so yeah get a hold of us on LinkedIn um, or you can comment on the episode at iqmeetseq.com.au and otherwise you could also reach out to us where can people find you Ush? yeah I'm at eq.academy excellent and yeah, best email for me lately is uh, Jackie at legallywisewomen.com.au. So there you go. Another one. Another one. That's amazing. Yeah. Another great, amazing. Love that. Yeah. Mm. Good. All right. Well, we'll catch you next time. <laughs> See you guys.